Christ's name. Amen. Well, over the summer Sunday mornings, we've been working through Paul's letter to the Colossians, a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to what was a relatively new church plant gathering in this city called Colossae, which is in modern-day western Turkey. It's a city quite like Belfast in some ways, cosmopolitan, changing, going through uh, different uh, stages in, in its history. And as we've seen, Paul writes to this little gathering of believers in the city with one main goal in mind. He wants to encourage the believers to really go after spiritual maturity in Christ. That they wouldn't stay kind of just new baby Christians, but that they would really put their roots down into Christ and become more established in him. And that's exactly what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 6. He wanted them as they had received Christ as Lord to put their roots down into him, to be built up in him, and to become established in the faith. Paul wanted to see the Colossian church become a mature and flourishing center for discipleship right at the heart of the cosmopolitan city God had placed them in. And we know that this letter is not just Paul's word to the Colossians. God has seen to it that this letter is preserved in Scripture. We know this is God's word to us. Here we are, a relatively small church, in the middle of a fairly cosmopolitan city like Belfast, called to be a mature center for discipleship just where God has placed us. There is so much for us here. Now, as we've seen uh, over the past number of weeks, for most of the letter, Paul has been instructing the believers on how they can mature as disciples themselves. That is how they bring all of their lives under the lordship of Christ. But now in the section we turn to this morning, chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, he now instructs the believers in Colossae as to how they can mature as disciple makers in the city where God has placed them. So for most of the letter, he's been helping them to think about how they grow themselves as disciples. But now as we come to this last part of the main body of the letter, it's like Paul is saying, okay, Colossians, remember, we're a people who have been left with a mission. A mission from Jesus that was read earlier by Nicola in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. Never lose sight of this, Colossians. Keep the main thing, the main thing, always, always be involved in this mission. And so, this is not just Paul's word to the Colossians, this is God's word to us today. Great Vic, if you're going to take seriously your calling to be a faithful center of discipleship in the city of Belfast where you've been placed, you've got to remember the mission. You've got to keep the main thing the main thing always. 
As you grow and mature as disciples, remember you're also to grow into mature disciple makers. And to help both the Colossians and us grow in this way, the Apostle Paul gives two very simple instructions in this passage so that we can become mature disciple makers right where God has placed us. And the two instructions are these. In verses 2 to 4, he calls us to steadfast prayer for the mission. That's where it starts. And then in verses 5 and 6, he calls us to think intentionally about our steady witness for Christ where he's placed us. So a very clear outline this morning, verses 2 to 4. We're going to look at this call to steadfast prayer for the mission you're called to. And then verses 5 and 6, this call to steady witness in the mission where God has called you. So let's look first at this call to steadfast prayer. In verse 2, Paul instructs the Colossians first on how they should pray as disciple makers. Then in 3 and 4, on what they should pray as disciple makers. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. How does he call the Colossians and us to pray for the mission with perseverance, watchfulness, and thankfulness? Let's think through each of those characteristics of our prayer lives. First, he calls them to pray with perseverance. You see it there at the start of verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. As you seek to grow and mature and be a center for discipleship in the city, you've got to keep fighting to be a prayerful people. That's what Paul is writing to them. It's exactly the same for us today. If we want to be a mature center for discipleship in the city where God has placed us, we have got to fight hard to be a prayerful people because it doesn't come easy. In Luke 18, verse 1, we read that Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Imagine if the church of Jesus Christ gave up on prayer. Jesus says you never give up in prayer. That's what that phrase, continue steadfastly, means. It means, as the NIV translates it, be devoted to prayer. Why should we be devoted to prayer as a church and as individuals? So many reasons we could list. Here's just a couple. First, because God is a good father who loves to give good things to his children, and prayer is the means he has given us to call down his resources and help. And how we need those resources and help. Jesus told us in John 15 that we must abide in him 
That is live in dependence on him because apart from him, we can do nothing. So we pray because God is a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children and the way we receive those good gifts is through prayer. A second reason for why we pray, simply this, prayer delights God. There's a little proverb that I found earlier this week. Proverbs 15, 8. The prayer of the upright is his delight. That's amazing, isn't it? The prayer of the upright delights God. God loves his children. God is a good father, loves his children to come and hold communion with him. He communicates his delight to us in prayer. He loves to move through the prayers of his people. In James 5.16, we read the prayer of God's righteous people is powerful and effective. Paul's saying to the Colossians, and God is speaking through his word to us, saying one of the marks, one of the central marks of a mature Christian life and a mature church is a devotion to prayer. A dogged and tenacious determination to be a person of prayer. You know what? I can't help thinking about Dory and Finding Nemo. Just said, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, 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 swimming. And you just think, that's, that's prayer. Just keep praying, just keep praying, 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 praying. As a church, just keep praying, 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 praying. So let me ask, how are you doing in this area of your Christian life? How are we doing as a church? Would someone look at us and say, Great fact, that's a church devoted to prayer. Would someone look at your life and say, there is someone who is devoted to prayer? It's really challenging, isn't it? I'm sure none of us are sitting here going, well, I've arrived, I've got prayer down. Of course we're not. Let's be real. We all know we could grow in this area of our lives. But I think what this is calling for is not just, or, or this is not calling us to be guilty. This is calling us to say, but keep going. You know maybe at one time you were praying with more devotion than you are now, but keep going, keep praying, keep fighting. Doggedly be determined to continue steadfastly in prayer. Sometimes you'll be really strong in this area of your life. Other times you'll be weak, but never give up, never give up, never give up. Keep praying, praying, praying. Because it's tough and easy to lose focus, Paul moves on to explain the manner of how we should pray. He exhorts us to pray steadfastly, but look at what he then says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Now, I'm sure you, like me, are saying, what does that mean? When I sat up my study this week, I thought, what does that mean? to be watchful in prayer. It means praying with alertness, freshness. 
a sense of vibrancy. That word watchful is often contrasted in Scripture with sleepiness or lethargy. The best place to see this is the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember Jesus asked the disciples to watch and pray? Watch and pray. What happened? They fell asleep. Jesus' precise words to them in Mark 14, 38 were, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now that's a really good clue as to what watchfulness is in prayer. Watchfulness means praying in such a way that you bear in mind that you are on a mission in the enemy's backyard and you need all the resources you can get to stay faithful to the mission assigned to you. Praying with watchfulness means you're alert to the fact that temptations are around you like mines in a minefield. Knowing that Satan will try to make you drift away from prayer, try to make you lose confidence in the importance of it, and try to distract and fill your life with a million other things. To pray in an unwatchful manner is to pray as if nothing really depends on it. With an attitude, I could pray or I could leave it out, it doesn't make a difference. I want to tell you loudly and clearly this morning, don't buy that lie. Each day we walk through is a day filled with opportunities, yes, but also a day filled with temptations, like mines hidden in a minefield all around us. We should never just saunter into that field as if there's no danger. And yet that's what so many of us do. We just stroll into another day as if there's not bombs of temptation all around us that we could step on. Watchful prayer is prayer that is aware of the dangers around us and says, Lord, lead me through this day. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Jesus said, pray in this way. There's a hunger about watchful prayer, a desperation, a dependence on God. So let me ask again, how are you doing in this area of your Christian life? Watch and pray that you would not enter into temptation. You know, one of the challenging things, I guess, is we don't see sometimes how much our prayers have preserved us. It's like church. There is so much preservative power in the local church. But we don't see how gathering this week has stopped us from stepping on a mine this week. And perhaps we don't see all those times we've prayed, Lord, watch over me today, watch over my children, my grandson, whatever it is you pray, my friends, my family. Help me today as I think about my single life. Help me as I battle this struggle with this sin. We don't see all the ways God has answered and preserved us, so it's easy for us to forget just how God has come through for us over and over again to protect us from the minds around us. So we are to pray with watchfulness as we seek to keep praying. But then, in case this would all sort of tempt us to be a bit 
despairing and we'd be too afraid to step into a day. This last characteristic of prayer is so encouraging because it reminds us that we don't have to go into each day fearful. We go through the minefield as a people who have been liberated and a people who have an incredible guide. So continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So we're to pray steadfastly, we're to pray watchfully, and we're to pray thankfully. Thankfulness has been a beautiful theme that has pervaded this whole letter. 112, we're to give thanks to the Father. 27, we're to be abounding in thanksgiving. 3, 15 to 17, we're to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Here, once again, we're continually to give thanks for the truth that God has liberated us, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Thankful that in the Father, all the resources that we need are available to us. The door to the treasure store of resources in God is open for us. Thankful that we have one who walks with us through every day to guide our every step. You know, I was out walking this morning and praying and just thinking of the line that we sung earlier, you know, he, he's broken my bonds of sin and shame. Or no, that was what I was listening to, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's broken our bonds. And I just thought of that word bonds. Man, it was like I was chained in a dungeon. And I was sitting there in darkness, blind to the glory of God and the gospel, chained, and I could do nothing about it. And Christ broke into the dungeon, filled with light. And then I love it because I'm sort of this brash figure. He smashes my bonds off. No, let me just take that wee lock off for you there. No, he smashes my bonds apart, sets me free from my sin, from hell, from death, from condemnation, and now I'm righteous and alive in him. And honestly, I could have just shouted this morning as I was walking around and praying, yes, you've broke my bonds. We're to pray always as we continue steadfastly, watchfully. We're also then to just feel and taste the relief again of our salvation and allow it to well up with thankfulness. After this, this is the how we're to pray as a people on mission. We now then get the instructions on what we should pray. In verses three to four, Paul says at the same time, as you're praying for your own mission, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. Now, when he says at the same time, pray also for us, he means as you pray about your own mission and calling in Colossae. Pray also for us. The us, Paul and Timothy, remember the authors of this letter in house arrest at this point, under house arrest, probably in Rome. He says, pray also for us and for the, the, the calling we have to be disciple makers where we are. And then the two instructions the two priorities Paul gives here are so instructive for us and for the Colossians and for us as we seek to pray well for the mission God has assigned for us. He asks them first to pray for an open door for the word. Second, that a clear and faithful message would then go through the door. That's a beautiful picture that is used often in Scripture this idea of a new door opening for faithful gospel ministry. Paul's pray, saying, pray that we would have new opportunities for meaningful gospel conversations. 
meaningful gospel ministry. And when the opportunities come, pray that God would enable us to make the most of the opportunity and to make the gospel clear as it should be proclaimed. And we need to pray for both these things. I remember when I was uh, a good bit younger than I am just now, I, I say sometimes when I was younger and then some of you are saying, oh, you still are quite young. And uh, thank you for that. But when I was a bit younger than I am now, I remember I used to pray for opportunities. It's like, Lord, I want to be able to share the gospel with someone. And God started to give me opportunities. I find you always get opportunities when you're praying for them. But I, I kept missing them because I was too afraid of what people would think, or looking stupid, or not knowing what to say. And so I realized, I can't just pray for the opportunities of God, I pray that when they come, God would give me courage, boldness, wisdom to know when to speak or when to be quiet. And then it was lovely to see sometimes God giving me the courage that was needed for those opportunities. Paul's saying, you've got to pray for the open door for the word, and then when the opportunity comes, for the faithful message to be proclaimed. Underlying these requests is something quite helpful to understand. Underlying these requests is a conviction that the Apostle Paul held that it is God who goes before the evangelist to prepare the hearts for the hearing of the gospel. That is really important for us to remember. God provides opportunities. God prepares hearts. In farming, there's a piece of equipment that you use from time to time called a cultivator. It's a machine that moves over the top layer of hard soil to break it up into sort of smooth, crumbly, aerated soil that's ready to receive the seed. Prayer is the cultivator of hearts. It prepares the soil of the heart for the seed of the gospel. I think the simple application here is that we must be people who go before the people of our city, go before our unsaved family members, our unsaved friends. We should cultivate their hearts in prayer. Just see that image. If you look it up at what a cultivator does. It doesn't go as deep as a plow. It just skims the top, and it just breaks up the soil and makes it receptive. And get that image in your mind when you're praying this week for your unsaved family or friends. I'm cultivating in prayer their heart, Lord. And then when the doors open, we are to seek to sow well. Farmers say, well sown, half grown. When opportunities come, our goal is to proclaim Christ, his identity, his mission, and his call. Simply, we're to bear witness to who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what he means to us. Paul's calling the Colossians to pray for gospel advancement, gospel flourishing, Gospel power to be unleashed in Colossae, but also in Rome where Paul is. If we want to be a flourishing center for discipleship here in our city, here's what we should strive to pray for. Open doors for the gospel, clear and faithful communication of the gospel. We pray for that with perseverance, watchfulness, and thankfulness.
Here's an image that I read earlier in the week from John Piper that stayed with me, and I hope it stays with you. He said, we've got to pray the locks off people's hearts. Pray the locks off their hearts. Pray that God would just blow open the door and enter, and enter in with his light. So again, how are we doing in this area of our Christian lives? Are we praying for the mission that has been entrusted to us? Are you praying for your colleagues at work for an open door for the gospel? Are you praying for your unsafe family for an open door for the gospel? And when the door comes, that you'll be able to declare and clearly make known the gospel. I wonder what it would look like to be a church doing this more faithfully. Well, perhaps when we give out our prayer guides, we use 30-day prayer guides to pray through a new term of ministry, to pray throughout the month of September. When those are given out, you'll make sure you take one. Say, I'm going to commit every day to praying through those points so that I can be devoted to prayer. That would be one way you could respond to that message. We'll have them printed through the week, God willing. They'll be ready on Sunday next week. Maybe another way you could do this is saying, over the next term, I'm going to commit to being at the midweek prayer gathering when it gathers. So for two Wednesdays, we're in our small groups. One way we pray, another two we're here at the church praying. Maybe you'll just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to respond and say, yeah, there's one way I can show my devotedness to prayer. I know that not everyone can always make it for various reasons, but maybe while you're at home even or in your car or at work at that time or whatever, you'll take a moment to try and think, I want to pray because I know that the folks at Great Vic are trying to be devoted to prayer. They're in the engine room right now and I'm just going to pray. Maybe you could consider using the Lord's Prayer more intentionally. When I'm tired, I don't have the creative energy to pray sometimes and I'll take the Lord's Prayer and I'll just pray through it and try to pray through it meaningfully. Maybe that's a way you could help yourself to become more devoted to prayer. Or maybe you could say, maybe I could do something to stimulate me a little bit more as I read my Bible, maybe a book. And here's just one suggestion um, from the pastor at Eden Baptist, Julian Hardiman, Fresh Pathways in Prayer. I find this a really helpful little guide that definitely stimulated some freshness in my own prayer life. Um, You might find that helpful to get hold of that. I'll leave it at the back afterwards if someone wants to have a quick look at it. So this is the first section of what Paul encourages the Colossians to if they want to be a faithful center for discipleship in the city where God has placed them. So you've got to continue steadfastly in prayer. You've got to be watchful in it. You've got to be thankful in it. And you've got to make sure that that centering and all of that is, is this prayer for the mission you've been left with because that's the cultivator that prepares the soil for the work of God. That is probably why revival is always preceded with a revival of prayer. I long for revival, but it'll start with a revival of prayer. So let's make sure we're ready for that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the Welsh pastor, used to say, I never wanted to miss a prayer meeting because it might have been the moment where God came down in a very powerful way and I don't want to be the one that said I missed it. (laughs) That's funny, isn't it? But it's great. This anticipation, this sense, God's at work and I don't want to miss it when he comes down by the power of his spirit and blows the locks off the doors. Man, we've lost something of that anticipation, haven't we? 
Well, let's move on. As well as calling the people to constancy in prayer, he calls them to be a steady witness. And I'll pick up the pace here a little bit. You could say that the first part of Paul's instruction, instructions have been how to get involved in the mission of discipleship in a, an indirect way, by praying for the mission. Now he proceeds to speak of how we're called to get involved directly in the mission, how to be right there in the front line of disciple-making. Our goal as Christians, just where God has placed us, should be to accomplish as much spiritual good as we can through our different relationships. I'll say that again. Our goal as Christians should be to accomplish as much spiritual good as we can through our different relationships. That's what it means to make the most of every opportunity. Paul outlines three further ways we can be effective in our witness towards those around us who are not Christians. A wise walk, seasoned speech, and a readiness to respond. Let's think of those briefly. If we want to be faithful witnesses, first we've got to, verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. At the beginning of the book, Paul urged the Colossians to pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that they could be faithful witnesses for the kingdom. To walk in wisdom is to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and to live in the way he wants us to live in the world. It's personal godliness. It's knowing how to conduct yourself as an ambassador of Christ in all the spheres you move in. Knowing when to speak, when to hold back, when to push a conversation beyond the pain line, and when to step back a little bit. So it's really clear that if we want to walk in wisdom, have a wise Christian witness at work amongst our family in the world, we need wisdom. What are the sources of wisdom in Scripture? There are three of them. Prayer. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He gives generously to all without finding fault. But when he asks, let him ask in faith and not doubt. Second source of wisdom, Scripture, Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord makes wise the simple. Third source, wise friends, Proverbs 13.20, he who walks with the wise grows wise. So we want to pursue wisdom in prayer, Scripture, finding wise people to get alongside so that we can learn from them and grow and be sharpened by them. Pursue wisdom so that you'll walk well in the sphere of influence God has placed you in. To be a good evangelist, you need wisdom. And so if you want to be a faithful witness, you're going to pray about that seriously. Lord, I need wisdom to walk well and be a good witness with my life where you've placed me. The second characteristic then of being a steady witness is to have seasoned speech. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So much about who we are is communicated by the way we speak. Gracious speech means we speak in a gracious manner. Would you be known as a person of gracious speech? Would your wife say that about you, husband? Would your husband say that about you, wife? Would your friends say that about you? Would your family say that about you? Would your children say that about you? Let's try to be 
gospel-shaped in the way we speak. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. May grace often be the subject of our speech and the manner of our speech. Seasoned with salt is a lovely expression that Paul uses to say essentially that your speech would be just sprinkled full of the characteristics of the kingdom. That's how Jesus certainly used the illustration of salt in the Sermon on the Mount. You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Right after the Beatitudes, he means let all the beautiful characteristics of the kingdom be like salt and pepper in your life, adding flavor, taste, color, preventing you from being insipid and tasteless in your witness. So let your speech at home, at work, with your friends, with your children, with those you mix with, let it be flavored with the themes and the manner of the kingdom. This will make you stand out. It doesn't mean you need to be talking about the gospel all the time with your friends and shoving it down people's throats. Of course not. We want to be gentle and careful in our witness, as well as bold and courageous. It means in all your interactions, the way that you interact with that colleague at work, there's a grace about you. At that moment when you're just feeling so stressed and frustrated and you want to snap, you just do all you can to say, Lord, please give me patience. So that our manner would make us stand out. In Philippians 2.14, Paul said, one thing that's going to make you shine brightly like a star in the world is conducting your speech and your life in a way that you don't grumble and complain. That's like a dagger to the heart, isn't it? You want to shine brightly in your workplace, amongst your family, amongst your friends. Stand out of the culture of complaining and self-centered criticism and entitlement. Be thankful and let your conversation be full of grace. You'll stand out a mile. And that leads into the third characteristic of our steady witness that Paul speaks to, and it's a readiness to respond. We're to walk with wisdom, have seasoned speech, and always be ready to respond so that we might know how to answer each person. He assumes that when we live with a wise, seasoned witness in the world, people are going to come and ask us about why we are the way we are. Again, that is so challenging. I'm trying to think about this to the the non-believing friends that I have, those that are not Christians. Would they ever come to me and just say, Why is your life different than mine? Or would they not even see a difference? Peter said this in 1 Peter 3.15. We should always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. People should see hope in you at work. Your family should see hope in you. In a broken and anxiety-inducing world, people should see hope in you. And when they see it, they should come and ask about it. And Peter says we should be ready to give an answer, but do it with gentleness and respect. We're to listen and we're to answer each person as an individual in the questions they bring to us. Some of us might be afraid of that and say, well, I'd be afraid if anyone asked me questions because I wouldn't know the answers. Remember, in the end, your goal is not to be the expert that answers every question. Your goal is to be a faithful witness. I remember getting to the end of myself with a friend in Madagascar called um, Romley, was his name. And I got to the end of myself and he just was not open at all. And I just, in exasperation one day, I just said, right, I can't convince him, I'm just going to bear witness. And I just said, I have met Jesus. 
and he's changed my life, and he's forgiven my sins, and he's loved me, and he's prepared me to know and love God. And my friend was just totally taken aback by that. We're called to be witnesses. Anyone can be a witness. So here's the second way we take seriously our calling to make disciples in the city God has placed us in. We get serious about being a steady witness. Wise walk, seasoned speech, ready to respond when people see our hope. So let's just draw this all together with a big drawstring draw string to conclude. There are two ways we can take seriously as a church our calling to be a center for discipleship in the city God has placed us in. By steadfast prayer and by being steady in our witness. Do you know what I love about this little section of the letter? It's so simple. There's nothing groundbreaking what I've said there. It's like, is that it? To be a faithful witness in Belfast, we need to pray and be a steady witness? Is that all you've got this morning? Yes. That's it. Are we doing it? What, what holds us back? Is it we don't believe in the efficacy of prayer? Is that we just love too much our comfort? And blend in too much? What is it? What is it that keeps the Wednesday gathering less than this gathering? Maybe midweek. I know we're tired from work. I used to be tired when I got back from the bank. And sometimes it's hard to turn around and get back out. And that's, again, I understand that. So, great Vic. Let's get serious, by the grace of God, about our steadfastness in prayer. Let's pray more than ever, personally and corporately, that God would blow the locks off the doors of the people all around us. Let's pray that he would give us wisdom to be faithful witnesses right in the center of this city where he's placed us. Let's get serious about prayer and let's get serious about our witness. John Chrysostom in the fourth century was a great preacher and he said to his people in one sermon, let us win them by our lives. Let's have a gracious manner. Let's be flavored with the kingdom. Let's be ready to share the hope that we have with those around us because we do have a sure and steadfast hope. And underlying all of this, let's remember to keep the main thing the main thing. We are disciples who want to grow and mature as disciples but we also want to be mature disciple makers. Let's always keep the main thing the main thing. We have a mission to make disciples of Belfast and beyond. Let's never lose sight of this. Let's pray. Father, in some ways, this is just so delightfully simple. You want to be a faithful Christian, a faithful Christian church, center of discipleship, where God has placed you, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and walk in wisdom towards outsiders, with seasoned speech, ready to respond, 
and a hope that is on display, like a light shining on a lampstand. Father, I pray that you would breathe on the embers of our hearts just now and fan into flame our hope in Christ. That with thanksgiving, we would pray that you, Father, would send forth through the Son your Spirit like a mighty wind to just fly through the houses and businesses around us, fly through our families, fly through our colleagues at work, blow open the doors of hearts, give us opportunities to speak of the hope we have in Christ, and when the opportunities come, give us courage, wisdom, gentleness, and respect, and a deep confidence in the power of the gospel to get the work of God done in the lives of those around us. Oh Lord, thank you for the simple nature of what you've called us to do, and yet we know we have an enemy who will do everything to stop us from praying and to make us hide our lamp under a bowl. Lord, this morning, blow the bowl away. Keep us prayerful. Show us how to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together and we'll respond with this prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit, the living breath of God, to breathe new life into our souls.
Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.